0: Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Here is part two of our series on autoimmune conditions, hosted by Alicia Podwojniak. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Alicia Podwojniak, I'm a student at Rowan Virtua School of Osteopathic Medicine, and I'll be your host for today's episode. Welcome to part two of our discussion on autoimmune diseases. In part one, we've covered rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and scleroderma. For this session, we'll be discussing Sjogren's syndrome, dermatomyositis, and polymyositis. So starting with Sjogren's syndrome. Basically, it's an autoimmune destruction of the exocrine glands, and it's more commonly seen in women ages 40 to 60. A huge risk factor for this disease is actually having other autoimmune diseases, and although this trend can be seen in most autoimmune diseases, I think for the sake of boards, I've seen this pattern most closely described with Sjogren syndrome. Now, Sjogren syndrome has a very unique presentation. Can you think of a few signs and symptoms to look out for? If dry eyes and dry mouth were the first thing that came to your mind, you're absolutely right. And these symptoms have a specific name. Do you know what that is? Nice. They're referred to as SICA symptoms, which are basically made up of decreased saliva production, known as xerostomia, decreased tear production, known as keratoconjunctivitis SICA, and also dyspareunia in women, due to decreased lubrication. Oftentimes, the case may describe a woman who presents to her doctor complaining of a foreign body sensation in the eye, like a grain of sand, or something similar, and it has been bothersome. Now, some other things to look out for include constitutional symptoms, like fatigue and arthralgias, changes in wheat, and low-grade fevers. And we see this pattern with most autoimmune diseases. You might also see some cutaneous manifestations, including brain odes phenomenon, cutaneous vasculitis, dry skin, and cheilitis, which is inflammation of the lips. Given that the patient has decreased saliva production, can you think of some oral or dental complications that these patients are at increased risk for? Nice job. Dental caries. Because saliva helps you protect uh, your teeth from certain bacteria, and so if you have decreased saliva production, you can have increased risk of the bacteria eroding your enamel. These patients are also at risk for oral candidiasis and parotid gland infection. Now, there's also a particularly high-yield cancer association with Sjögren syndrome. Can you think of what it is? Nice job. It's something called a maltoma, which is a mucosal-associated lymphoid tissue lymphoma. And it's a subset of the marginal zone type non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. And in this case, it's associated with the salivary glands. All right, so let's talk pathogenesis. It seems to be related with viral or environmental environmental stimulus to, to a genetic predisposition. Specifically, it's the HLA DR52. But I think of all of the HLAs you might want to remember for step one, this one's probably less high yield. But do you know what the characteristic histologic lesion, lesion of this syndrome is? Great job. It's focal lymphocytic sialidinitis. So there's T-cell predominant infiltration of the exocrine glandular tissue with other humoral factors such as antipodies and cytokines that locally destroy the glands. Do you know the names of the antibodies that are involved in this syndrome? Nice. It's anti-SSA, which is also anti ro and anti-SSB, or anti la They may also have a positive ANA and rheumatoid factor. But notably, the anti-SSA and SSB can also be seen in lupus, so be mindful of this overlap. Moving on, there's a rather high-yield association with a pregnant mother who is positive for anti-SSA or SSB antibodies. Do you know what might develop in the fetus if these antibodies get passed along? So the fetus in this situation is high risk for developing congenital heart block, also known as neonatal heart block. It can be really dangerous and put the fetus at risk for developing CHF, myocarditis, or hydrops fetalis and stillbirth. So how can you confirm a diagnosis of Schrodinger syndrome? Nice job. It would be a biopsy, where you expect to see dense inflammatory infiltrate in the exocrine glands. Okay, let's talk briefly about pharmacology. Can you think of a drug or a drug class that might help with the symptoms of dry eyes and dry mouth? Nice job. So I was going for pilocarpine, which is a cholinergic agonist. And this should make sense because it's the parasympathetic that is rest and digest. And it does things like activating tear production and saliva production. So we would want to use a procholinergic agent like pylocarpine, and it can help stimulate the remaining glands to produce their res- uh, respective secretory products. All right. So lastly, we have to cover dermatomyositis and polymyositis. And for me, it was always a little bit tricky to straighten these two diseases out regarding the antibodies and the biopsy findings, but we're going to try to straighten it out together. I like to think of polymyositis first, sort of like the baseline condition. So polymyositis is an autoimmune myopathy that has symmetric muscle weakness and dermatomyositis I like to think of as basically polymyositis, but with a rash. Both conditions present with symmetric proximal muscle weakness, so think about the shoulders and hips as being proximal muscle groups, and the question stem might mention something about having difficulty rising from a chair, or difficulty combing the hair, or like grabbing a plate from a cabinet or something similar to that. These patients may also present with dysphagia or difficulty speaking due to weakness in the laryngeal muscles. Specifically for dermatomyositis, there are some key words to be on the lookout for regarding the presentation of the rash. Let's say we have a description of a patient with a purple, dark red colored rash surrounding the eyelids. What is the name of this finding? Nice job. It's the heliotrope rash. And just be mindful that sometimes this rash can mimic the malar butterfly rash that we see in lupus because it can spread down to the cheeks. But as I've mentioned in the previous episode, usually when they're describing the malar rash and lupus, they really make a a key point to describe the sparing of the nasolabial fold. Now, let's say we have a rash that appears to outline a v-neck t-shirt. Do you know what the term they use to describe this? Well, I kind of gave it away with the v-neck t-shirt, but it's called the v-sign, and it's a rash that outlines a v-neck t-shirt. So think about the neck and upper chest. Similarly, we have the shawl sign, which would be a rash in the area outlining a shawl, so think about the shoulders and upper back. And these two rashes are associated with exposure to sunlight, so it's really important to emphasize sun protection for these patients. Okay, so another characteristic rash seen in dermatomyositis is commonly referred to as mechanics hands. Do you know another name for this finding? Great job. So Gottren's papules, and these are erythematous, scaly plaques on bony prominences of the hands and elbows. So think about the knuckles, and I'd imagine that the term mechanics hands came to describe this finding from the rough, cracked hands resembling, you know, the irregular, overused, maybe somewhat dirty appearing hands that would come from a long day's work in car mechanics. And as always, understand the descriptions and the buzzwords and vice versa be able to recognize them both, and also pictures. Okay, so for the pathogenesis of polymyositis, it involves cell-mediated immunity with involvement of CD8 T-cells. And for dermatomyositis, we have humoral immunity and involvement of B-cells with CD4 cells. So again, this is super high yield, so I just want to say it one more time. With polymyositis, we have involvement of CD8 T-cells, and with dermatomyositis we have involvement of the CD4 cells. Both pathologies result in inflammation and atrophy resulting in muscle tissue damage and necrosis. And I know this might be a silly way to remember this, but it stuck for me. So I always remembered that 4 was the number that came before 8 and D is the letter that came before P in the alphabet. So I always associated dermatomyositis with CD4 because D and four were the earlier letter and number, and then eight and P being the latter half, so I would group them together too. And hopefully that's a last resort memory trick for you, but if you need to use it, there it is. Anyway, what would we expect to see on labs? Nice job. We would expect to see an elevated CK or creatine kinase, depending on how much muscle necrosis there is, and also an elevated aldolase. And there might also be a positive ANA. Again, note that these findings are non-specific. But what are some specific antibodies to this condition? Nice job. There's the anti-Jo or histidyl tRNA synthetase, the anti-SRP, which stands for signal recognition particle, and the anti-Mi2 or the anti-helicase of these antibodies do you know which antibody is uh, more specific to dermatomyositis and which one is more specific to polymyositis well the anti-jo-1 is more related to the polymyositis and anti mi 2 is more related to dermatomyositis moving on i wanted to bring this point up because i remember it being very high yield for the exam you have to know which biopsy finding to associate with which condition. So if we were to see endometrial inflammation, which condition is this referring to? Nice job. It's going for polymyositis. And the way I like to remember this was knowing that the endometrium is further away from the skin, and therefore it has no cutaneous manifestations with polymyositis. So if you know what I'm referring to here, whenever you think about layers, usually you'll have like an exo, a peri, and an endo prefix, and exo is the most superficial, peri is the middle, and endo is the most internal. So in this case, I liked to remember endomysial as being, you know, quote unquote, like furthest from the skin, which is compared to our sister disease, dermatomyositis. So if we see perimysial inflammation, which condition is this referring to? Nice job, dermatomyositis. And like I said, perimysium, as compared to endomycium, is closer to the skin, and so that's how I like to remember that it has the is associated with dermatomyositis and has the cutaneous manifestations. Okay, so another f- high-yield fact is uh, that dermatomyositis has an increased risk of cancers. So much so that some consider it to be a perineoplastic syndrome. And although perineoplastic syndromes are a concept for another episode, just know for now that there's a high association with dermatomyositis with various adenocarcinomas, especially ovarian, but also for the colon, lung, and other breast cancers. Okay, so let's do a few cases. Let's say we have a 38-year-old woman who presents with complaints of persistent dry eyes and dry mouth. She reports using artificial tears and saliva substitutes frequently to alleviate these symptoms. On physical exam, she has dry mucosa in the oral cavity and reduced saliva production. Her lab tests show elevated levels of the anti ro antibodies and decreased saliva flow. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis for this patient's condition? A. Rheumatoid arthritis, B. Lupus, or C. Chodron's syndrome? Nice job. The answer here is C, for Sjogren's syndrome. So this patient's presentation of dry eyes, dry mouth, reduced saliva production, and of course the positive anti ro antibodies are pretty consistent with Sjogren's syndrome. As we know, it's an autoimmune disorder that primarily affects exocrine glands, leading to dryness of mucous membranes. Okay, so next case, we have a 52 year old woman who presents with progressive muscle weakness and difficulty getting up from a seated position. She also complains of fatigue and mild discomfort in her muscles. On exam, her proximal muscle groups are notably weak and she has difficulty raising her arms above her head. Her laboratory tests reveal an elevated creatine kinase and positive anti-JO1 antibodies. What do you think is the most likely diagnosis? A. Dermatomyositis, B. Guillain-Barre syndrome, D. Multiple, I'm sorry, C. Multiple sclerosis, or D. Polymyositis. Nice job. If you said D. Polymyositis, you'd be correct. The patient in this case has progressive muscle weakness, proximal muscle involvement, elevated CK, and cons- is consistent with polymyositis. If you have any questions about why it wouldn't be dermatomyositis, Well, we don't really have any skin manifestations, and also the positive anti-Jo antibody further supports the diagnosis of polymyositis. Okay, so thankfully this episode was much shorter than part one of this two-part series, but I wanted to be sure to talk about the higher yield concepts for these last three diseases. They're not as common or as commonly tested as the first three, but I think we hit the most important points. So to recap, Sjögren syndrome is an autoimmune disease characterized by the destruction of exocrine glands. A patient might present with dry eyes and dry mouth, maybe a feeling of a foreign object sensation in the eye. These patients are at increased risk of dental caries and parotid gland infections, as well as the development of marginal zone lymphoma. The relevant antibodies for Sjögren syndrome are the anti ro and anti-Law antibodies, and remember, a fetus born to a mother who is positive for these antibodies is at very high risk of development of neonatal heart block. Diagnosis is made with a biopsy. Next, for polymyositis and dermatomyositis, they're both autoimmune myopathies, and dermatomyositis also has cutaneous involvement. Both disease processes can cause a patient to develop proximal muscle weakness, such as in the hips or shoulders. With dermatomyositis, we also see development of cutaneous symptoms like the shawl sign, V-sign, Gottron's papules, and the heliotrope rash. Dermatomyositis also has a high association with development of certain cancers, and sometimes can be thought of as being a perineoplastic syndrome due to this high correlation. Lastly, on biopsy, be sure to know that dermatomyositis involves perimysial inflammation and polymyositis involves endomysial inflammation. All right, and quickly, before I end this two-part series, I want to do a quick buzzword and antibody rapid-fire review for both episodes. I'll say the buzzword or antibody and try to associate the correct disease. So for our first one, let's start with anti-CCP. Nice job. This correlates to rheumatoid arthritis. And next one is Gautran's papules or mechanic's hands. Nice job. This is describing dermatomyositis. Next up is Felty syndrome. Nice. This one goes with rheumatoid arthritis. And do you remember what Felty syndrome is? Great job, it's a neutropenia and splenomegaly with rheumatoid arthritis. Next up is the malar rash. I hope you know this one, but it goes with lupus. And remember, it involves the sparing of the nasolabial fold. Next up is the heliotrope rash. Great, this is seen in dermatomyositis. Next up, we have endometrial inflammation. Nice job, it's seen in polymyositis. All right, so next we have vegetations that are seen on both sides of the valve. Nice, this is describing Liebman Sachs endocarditis which is seen in lupus. Alright, next up we have the anti-SSA and anti-SSB, or anti-Rho and anti-Law antibodies. Nice job. These go with Sjogren's syndrome. Next we have the anti-SCL70, also known as the anti-DNA topoisomerase 1 antibody, and the anti-RNA polymerase 3 antibodies. Nice. So these match up to scleroderma. And what about the anti-centromere antibody? This matches to CREST syndrome. Next up is the swan neck deformity. This is seen in rheumatoid arthritis. Great job. And what about perimysial inflammation on biopsy? Excellent. This is seen in dermatomyositis. And what is rheumatoid factor? Great job. It's an IgM attacking the FC region of an IgG molecule seen in rheumatoid arthritis. And what is the shawl sign seen in? Excellent. Dermatomyositis. Only a few more, guys. Next up is the antihistone antibody. Great job. It's seen in drug-induced lupus. Think hydralazine, isoniazid, and procanamide. S. B. antibodies in a pregnant mother. What can we expect to develop in the fetus? Congenital heart block. Okay, and last one, HLA-DR4. Nice. This is seen in rheumatoid arthritis. All right, everyone. I know that was a lot, but you made it through. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.